Hello, I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and today on America Can We Talk, California has the highest taxes, still the worst homelessness problem, and libs are so proud. Second, CPAC was last week, some great highlights from CPAC, and they really show us America's future, which way we should be headed. And last, can America still have health care freedom? Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I found this amazingly cool clip on YouTube I'm going to play in just a moment. It's a guy who actually goes by the name uh, Anomaly, like A-N-O-M-A-L-Y is how he, how he spells it. And the reason I wanted to play it was so interesting. I talked last week about the Oscars and how all the Hollywood, the people presenting and receiving awards in the Oscars are all standing up, just mocking America and the whole left wing anti-American mindset. And this guy that you're going to hear in a moment, this clip, he did a little video of the area right around where the Oscars are held in Los Angeles. This gentleman goes by the name Anomaly, and I'm going to play for you what he had to say and then talk about what liberal policies really do to America. Go ahead, Mr. Anomaly. Hopefully I caught your attention. What I'm about to say is much more real and important than what you're going to hear on the Oscars tonight. Driving by, I took these videos just a couple blocks from where it's being hosted tonight. All around this event, under every overpass, on every exit ramp to the highway, and 15 minutes down the road in Skid Row, you'll see dozens of blocks that look like this. It's absolutely insane. And what's obnoxious is these celebrities talk, 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 talk about politics, virtue signal, and then run back to the hills or back to their state and leave the working class people and the people of this city, especially out to dry. We have the highest taxes, yet we have the most poverty. Where's all this tax money going? We have gas tax, this tax, that tax. Teachers are on strike. The roads aren't being paved. Highest taxes and most poverty. Homelessness spiraling out of control. Our small businesses being lost. I'm seeing that all over Los Angeles. Businesses and apartment buildings being closed down. It doesn't look like this stuff's going in an upward direction. And I wouldn't really care if celebrities just enjoyed their night and had a good time, but they're always doing one of the most evil things, which is from the hills, from the coastal cities where they have these nice gated communities and apartments they just shout down at the working class people and the tens of millions of people who voted for the president they're just they're just crushing us and burying us the people of the city of los angeles the people of the united states of america crushing us crushing us crushing us shouting at us acting like they're so great and then they run back to the hills in their mansions i'm tired of it and if you're going to be a celebrity talking political the least you could do is clean up some trash on the street try to solve the homeless problem try to help i don't know all the taxpayers who are running in circles trying to make ends meet, but they don't have a voice. It's just getting drowned out by you guys screaming on your smoke and mirror television shows on the five or six networks who control everything and you don't even give us a voice. And when you bring somebody on, you frame it in a way to make them look crazy or weird and you just shout, shout, shout. It's an echo chamber of coastal elites and tech company elites who just have BS spewing out of their mouth and it's spewing onto the streets and it's spewing onto the sidewalks. And if you don't realize the truth now, it's going to it's so bad that it's going to eventually reach the hills that you go run away to and hide in. Folks, what he did was a seven or eight minute video. I just collapsed down. I think that was a little over two minutes. 
but he has video from the streets all around, very near to where the Oscars are held. They look like they might be the cities, the streets in some poor slum in a third world country, some out of the way place in India or something, but it's in Los Angeles very near to where the Oscars were held. And I urge you, by the way, if you want to watch this whole video, you can go to my, uh, my website, americacanwetalk.org, and on the, when you're in the very home page at the top, under podcasts or under blog, yeah, I think it's under podcasts, you can drop down and you have list of links. And so I have the links and everything I'll talk about today. But today, this is a Monday. I always do Deep Dive Monday. And if I had to give a theme to, to today's show, it is the idea of right now in America, as is always true, he who takes charge and speaks up is the one who wins the argument in America. And there are two very different uh, futures for America being laid out for us by the American left the anti-American left, and by the right, by, and I don't even know if I like the term Republican or conservatives, but for lack of a better term, by the people on the political right. They are laying out a future for America. You can see it in what was said it was at CPAC. We're going to talk about that. You can see it in what this guy is talking about in California. You can have the left-wing view of the world, which is raising taxes and raising taxes and making it too expensive for the average Joe to live California's got a huge problem, people leaving. The taxes are outrageous. People can't afford to buy homes because the price of everything is so expensive. So the wealthy Uber elite live, as he describes, in their mansions, in their gated communities, and the people who have to live under the policies of left passes end up living in squalor. In California, in fact, sometime I'll do a special show about this, contrasting California and Texas where I live. California has among the highest, if not the highest taxes in the country and the most poverty and the most homelessness. There are studies that talk about this. And I, you know, this show, America Can We Talk, my entire purpose in doing this show is urging people to be inspired, to be, in, to be involved in the American political conversation, to speak up for this country, to recognize that no matter what nice, friendly, happy talk words spew out of the mouth of the Hollywood elites, the liberals in Washington, the Democrats running this country into the ground, no matter how nice they sound, how friendly their, ter friendly their terms sound, at the end of the day, socialist, liberal ideas always hurt people. California is a great example. I don't want America to become California. I want California to become more like Texas and the wholesome, healthy states that hold on to the right ideas about America. I'm Debbie George Assis, America Can We Talk. And on this Deep Dive Monday, just moments away, we're going to take the shortest of break, three seconds here, and turn to talking about the uh, CPAC, which was held this past week um, in right outside of Washington, D.C., some great speeches and some great fodder for thought to inspire all of us to think about the kind of future we want for America. I'm Debbie Georges, America Can We Talk. Stay tuned. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. You know, I've gone to CPAC before. In fact, my husband and I have gone twice, I think, and I've gone went once with some friends instead of going with him, but... Didn't go this past time. And at CPAC, there were, and which you don't, if you don't know what that is, CPAC is the Conservative Political Action, or PAC is, you know, Political Action Committee. CPAC is a conservative conference, a massive annual conservative conference. 
It was held this year right outside of Washington, D.C., in a very in a lovely large hotel. And But one of the reasons CPAC is kind of cool as a conservative conference, because there are so many conservative conferences, is that it is especially designed to appeal to young people, to invite young people to attend, you know, to invite millennials to come, younger people to come, see and meet other young conservatives and talk about conservative ideas in an environment where you're not going to be mocked and ridiculed as they so often are on today's campuses and in general in, in, in American society, especially in the, the, uh, among the liberal elite. So CPAC was this past week. I want to play some clips from it first, but I really urge you, we're going to talk about uh, a few different aspects of it. One are the Trump, the uh, President Trump's speech. He, to put it mildly, went off his uh, his prepared speech to say he went, yeah, this is his picture, by the way. This went viral. He hugged the flag as he came out uh, before he started his speech. Somebody put this up in uh, somewhere, Facebook or somewhere, and just said, I think he just won the 2020 elections. This guy loving on the flag, people loved it. He came to speak at CPAC. He went way off script, just, you know, spoke from the heart over two hours, crowd ecstatic and clapping the whole time. The reason I want to play these clips is I want to really ask you to think about, despite all the happy talk promises that you hear from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, many people on the American left, the whatever it is, 10 people now running for president on the American left, the Nancy Pelosi's, the Chuck Schumer's, I really invite you to try to picture more clearly and deeply what future are they painting for America? What are they telling you through the policies they are agreeing and admitting they're trying to push? What future are they going to create for America versus what Trump and the conservatives, Republicans are trying to do for America? So I'm going to start with just, I have some clips from Donald Trump. Um, I have actually two segments. This is the first segment of Trump at CPAC. Take it away, Donald Trump. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. The men and women here today are on the front lines of protecting America's interest, defending America's value, and reclaiming our nation's priceless heritage. It's true. With your help, we are reversing decades of blunders and betrayals. These are serious, serious betrayals to our nation and to everything we stand for. It's been done by the failed ruling class that enriched foreign countries at our expense. It wasn't America first. In many cases, it was America last. Those days are over, long over. Okay, he, first of all, as I say, spoke over two hours repeatedly interrupted by chants of USA and and clapping and cheering. This was a really rousing speech to an enormous crowd in Washington. But, you know, what he talked about here, he touches on, it's a kind of funny thing with Trump because people grumble or complain or don't like his demeanor or his manner of speaking. They think he sounds too brusque or too bold or too brash. But he is saying things that are true, that are resonating with the American heart. Just then, he talked about correcting or reversing decades of blunders and betrayals. And, you know, during the time America was watching, not and he even said somewhere in this speech, he wasn't really just talking about the Obama years. He's talking about the years preceding that. 
He's talking about the years in which we kind of lost as a country, as a culture, as a fabric of people. We lost the idea of why America is unique and great. We lost the idea of America being a leader in the world. You know, back at, you probably remember during his State of the Union address, President Trump went through, reviewed for America and for the big, you know, the, the audience gathered for the State of the Union, uh, went through the bravery of the American soldiers in World War II and, and D-Day and freeing Europe and stopping the Nazi menace. He was going back to a time when more people had a clearer sense of what America is. It's not that we think, we Americans think, we're better than everybody else, or that we are somehow the best people on earth, but we as a people, as a culture, as a country, have had the national identity from our founding, from ideas rooted in, on which our country is rooted, and the ideas that our country was founded on, the idea that we actually respect individual liberty, that we actually stand up for individual liberty, that we have the idea that each of us have rights from God simply because we were born to live in freedom. This is the country that gave rise to the, and I'm going to be talking more and more about what America's history really is versus what the left says it is, because as you listen to left-wing America denigrate, mock, ridicule, minimize the greatness of America over the last decades, you realize that it actually has had a harsh impact, a bad impact on America's culture. That we didn't really, we weren't sure if we were, I'm not saying America's history was perfect, but our country itself, a leader of liberty in the world, a country known to be a place everyone wanted to come because we have freedom here. And because we have a self-reliant, can-do American spirit, we had bursting with prosperity in an economy, our society, bursting with opportunity, prosperity, abundance, even for the least among us. People knew that about America. They knew it about America for decades and maybe even for a century. But we had in America over the last decades suffered from the left-wing view of the world, left-wing thinking that had penetrated Washington culture, permeated America's culture, permeated university culture, permeated society, where, where collectively America was kind of being told, you know, you're not all that special. You're not all that unique. There are a lot of great countries in the world, which there are a lot of great countries in the world, a lot of great people in the world, a lot of great people in every country that there is. But we lost too much of the, too many of us, too much, too, too much of society lost a recognition of why America is uniquely great. And it's not because of skin color, race, or ethnicity. It's all about ideas. And this is what Donald Trump helped to bring back to the American conscience, to, the, to our thinking as a culture during the 2016 presidential cycle. And the thinking about the value and goodness of America ties into why we want to have and must have secure borders, why, the, why citizenship must mean something. Why we can't have a random open process at the border where people wander in and if we happen to catch them, we say, hey, you know, show up in two weeks, catch and release, don't worry, show up in two weeks for your hearing. Of course, they never do again. 
So we have no idea who's in the country. And if you take the left wing goals that they have for this country, you have no idea who's going to vote. You have no idea who is a recipient of government services, county, state and federal level funded by the hardworking um, Americans who work hard and pay taxes toward their government. So we had a just a whole loss of the value and uniqueness of America. And this is part of what President Trump brought back in the 2016 presidential cycle and what he's talking about today and why he is so wildly popular with his voters. In fact, I'll tell you folks, you know, I'm extremely politically active. And in 2016, during the presidential primary, when we still had whatever it was, 17 or 18 candidates in the race, you know, people had their favorite. I had friends who you know, among on the Republican side, friends who like different ones. And a lot of them just thought, oh, President Trump, he's never going to be the one to win the primary. You know, he's kind of, he's too brash. He's too Mr. New York City. You know, he doesn't speak in a presidential manner. But I can tell you, virtually everyone I knew who was saying at the time, myself included, at the time that President Trump won't win, he doesn't sound presidential, he doesn't speak like a politician, People have come around to realize he came at a time in this country's history, in the time of our country when our culture had lost its sense of American greatness and, and an understanding of what that greatness means, that it wasn't about race or ethnicity or national origin or skin color. It was about the culture of liberty. It's about the founding ideas. Trump brought that back. And this is why at CPAC, why he was so incredibly popular. So that was one segment that he, he did of this two-hour speech. I'll play one other short segment and talk a little bit more about Trump and CPAC. Mr. President, I said as an example, President Xi of China, I have great respect. We have a great relationship. I say, how is it possible that you got away with this for so long? And he said, because nobody ever asked us to change. It's true. When they charge 40% tariffs on our cars going into China, and we charge them nothing coming into our country, when they raise their tariff from 10% to 25% and then to 40%. And they said to me, we expected that somebody would call and say, you can't do that. Nobody called, so we just left it. But everyone in this great country, right now, because of our great new economy, is doing well, except, of course, for the never-Trumpers. But they are on mouth to mouth resuscitation. Okay, he was, as you can hear, the audience love that. But I want to hit a couple points about what he's saying here. For all the people who have criticized Trump and they describe Trump supporters as, you know, ignorant, Neanderthal, rah-rah flag wavers, don't really understand the serious issues, cannot possibly be you know, serious thinkers about policy. What Trump said in a colloquial, friendly, you know, happy, getting along with the crowd way right there was really significant. On this idea of America having accepted 
culturally, politically, over the last decades, a second-class citizen mindset, a mindset that said, you know, it doesn't really matter if, you know, we have a really bad, uh, you know, balance of trade. It doesn't matter if China charges a 40% tariff on the cars that we send them. We charge nothing. It's okay. America can always, you know, kind of take it on the chin. America can always be the country that doesn't demand fairness. After all, we're the big guy in the room. We're the wealthiest country. We let other countries walk all over us. Well, that might have been something that was, it was considered to be kind of okay after World War II because we had, you know, we had Europe rebuilding itself. We had big challenges around the world coming back from a massive world war. But the imbalance in tariffs and the, and the mindset of the American policymakers that simply said over and over, well, we're going to let these trade imbalances go. We're not going to really worry too much about the trade imbalances because after all, you know, uh, America has a bunch of, you know, just has a lot of money. So America was slowly losing manufacturing, which meant in the heartland of America, losing jobs, losing jobs in the heartland of America meant, meant people turning to government assistance programs. It meant people turning to assistance to receive food stamps, housing assistance, to go on to government programs that create dependency and weakness. The assumption of the American left is, well, as long as they're putting food in the table, as long as they have a family can sit down and do government assistance programs and handouts, they've got food in the table, you know, they're fine. Trump recognized that American spirit, that desire to be self-reliant, that determination of the American people to be, to, to get back to that fabric of self-reliance, of working for a living, of working, contributing to the American economy through a job. And then in that, because you contribute value, you bring home something to feed your family, put food on the table, buy your kids new soccer shoes for next season's uh, games. We had a president who realized the American spirit wanted self-reliance and wanted jobs and recognized that America did not have to continue to be at the losing end of every tariff deal, every trade deal, that we could actually adjust our tariffs. We could negotiate again about tariffs. We could negotiate trade deals again. We could reassert that America deserves to be treated fairly. Because Trump did that, we had, and he, I guess it wasn't in this clip, but he had throughout this speech, he talked several times about jobs and industries pouring back into America. This is the restoration of the American spirit. It's the restoration of the free market economy in this country. It's the restoration of the idea of America, that we don't want to be a country where we have people living in utter reliance and self-dependence on the government. That is the American way. That is the Republican way. That is a conservative way. That is the free market way. The American left, on the other hand, found the growing dependence on federal programs, on government assistance programs, the more and more people not able to find jobs, so living off of unemployment insurance, living off of various government assistance programs, this is a benefit, a virtue in the mindset of the American left, because people dependent on government will continue to vote for the people who will continue to create and expand government assistance programs. The left benefits politically by people in this country being unable to find work, 
of necessity turning to assistance programs of all kinds to feed their families, to pay their rent, to pay their mortgage, to keep food on the table. The American left benefits from this. And the American left sells their agenda with a, you know, they, their happy talk term, a larger social safety net. We're selling that we have a safety net. We're going we're gonna to coddle. We're going to cradle. Pretty much cradle to grave. We're going to take care of you. Trump reignited in, in the, the belief in the possibility that America continue to, can continue to be a, a country based in liberty, a country filled with self-reliant Americans who can find a job and work to, to earn money to care for their own lives, that they didn't actually want to live in a life of dependency on the government. The left works to create dependency on government. It is why they did, they have proposed ideas like the Green New Deal, where everyone becomes utterly dependent on government. The spirit you saw for Trump at this at the CPAC was not just because, hey, he's a cool guy and he, you know, he he revs us up and he says snarky he does say he does say snarky and funny things. But he also he's speaking about serious ideas and people hear it, they know what he's saying, they want what he is saying. After CPAC was over, there was a lot of commentary about, well, is Trump, you know, creating the new uh, Republican Party? Has he, you know, has his brand taken over the Republican Party? Is he now going to be, you know, the, the standard bearer? And so the whole Republican Party has to shift to follow him. I don't actually buy that. I, I mean, I do think he is defining the Republican values of this era, but he is not shifting the course of the Republican Party. He is writing the ship for where the Republican Party, the conservative movement, always was supposed to be. There was never anything right about the way the Republicans had drifted off course, how they had surrendered to the left-wing mindset of creating more and more dependency programs and voting to expand the safety net. There was never anything good and right and Republican and, and loving of freedom for the Republican Party to accept a second-tier status for America in trade negotiations and in tariff deals and agree that America should always take it on the chin and agree that we just simply must surrender jobs to the rest of the world, that we can't bring jobs back here. The other points that Trump made, there were, there were many, many he made that were just, they were kind of staking out a leadership position in this country uh, for him going forward. He talked about, you know, he wants to be here the next six years. You know, he wants to win again in 2020. Other big points he made at CPAC, before I turn to Michelle Malkin, other big points he made at CPAC is he has just become and is the standard bearer. He is the bulwark against socialism. He's calling it out as he did in the State of the Union. You now have the Democrat Party of this country. They're in a massive identity crisis because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders, at least the two of them, well, okay, and also Pocahontas, Senator Warren, and to a lesser degree, uh, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, you have people considered the emerging leaders of the Democrat Party today who are either openly socialist or they are advocating for programs that are socialist, but they're a little bit tiny, a tiny bit afraid of calling it that. They're trying to have Pelosi and her, you know, allegedly establishment Democrats are trying to say, well, the whole party's not really socialist. You know, that's just, 
But the Democrat Party is socialist. In fact, I want to urge you to use even a better word. Socialist has become too friendly sounding in our society. It sounds kind of like, you know, sharing. And Bernie Sanders has made socialism kind of friendly, kind of nice sounding. Call it Marxist. Call it Marxism. When the left wants to control the entire energy industry of this country, wants to control the entire healthcare system of this country, wants to control housing for everyone in this country, it doesn't matter if they're willing to use the word socialist, it's what they are. And Marxism is just a very similar term with the same concept. And the reason I like it better, because it conjures up still a little scarier image for the average American. Not an inaccurate image. In fact, it's a very true image, but it conjures up that scarier image. People in this country are have been kind of lulled into the linguistic familiarity familiarity and kind of comfort with and you know rolled around your mouth it kind of tastes okay about the word socialism and it is a scary awful evil thing but in order to present our message to argue our case the word marxism might work a little better Trump is, so back to Trump, he is the bulwark against socialism. He's calling it out. He did it at the State of the Union in a way that was compelling. He's also, in this, in this speech, talked about his plan to have an executive order, which will essentially cut federal funding to all universities and colleges that do not protect free speech. Now, I don't know how he's going to implement that or what it's going to include, but the idea, we have all of us on the, on the conservative side have been complaining and bemoaning and hand-wringing about how horrible the academic environment is in the majority of colleges and universities in this country, that the government departments and history departments are overwhelmingly filled with socialists and communists as the professors. We have, we have college uh, graduation speakers, commencement speakers, whom the college has had to withdraw their invitation to because protesters on campus don't think they should ever have to hear anyone they don't agree with. They don't think they should ever have to hear the conservative view on anything. We have college campus speech codes that are inane. They're way past politically correct. They have college campus speech codes where children, students, young adult students and, and professors are continually afraid of opening their mouth and saying what they think because their ideas aren't allowed on campuses because they're conservative, because they maybe like President Trump. They may be, maybe believe in free markets. They maybe believe in America's goodness and, and on, in the free market system. They maybe think socialism is bad. We have college campuses. We had one last week where a kid got beaten up for having a MAGA hat on, a Make America Great hat on. We have college campuses where we have students so it is not healthy for them, is not good for them, so protected, so coddled, so treated like an emotional five-year-old that instead of students having to come to class, hear ideas presented they don't agree with, hear students in their class making arguments they don't agree with, and these students think they have a right to a trigger warning they have to be told by the professor again, you might be upset in my class 
this time today, children, because I'm going to talk about how cruel communism is. And they can run out crying and go to their, their safe zones and their, uh, you know, their, their trigger warning, happy space safe zones because they can't stand hearing the truth about anything. So I don't know how far Trump can take this executive order. I hope really far. I hope he can say you cannot have college campuses receiving federal money if you do not entertain a conversation, an exchange of ideas, a robust exchange of ideas about all sorts of topics. It was brilliant. It's also something why it's brilliant for Trump to raise this is because this idea of, well, colleges are liberal. You know how it is. Everyone understands academia is liberal. Number one, it's made its way down to high schools and junior high schools and elementary schools. So it's, you know, it's, it's a poison of liberalism seeping its way down all the way to kindergarten. So it's been normalized for kids from those very, very young ages. But we've been in our society accepting it just the way we have accepted. Well, America always takes it on the chin when it comes to our tariff deals, it comes to our trade deals. We never can actually get anything fair because we just take it on the chin. We just surrender. Well, we've had the same kind of idiotic surrender mentality for college campuses being liberal. Trump speaking up and saying, actually, no, no, we're done with this. We're going to have free speech for everyone. And you college campuses so dependent on federal money, you're going to change your ways or lose the money. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I love it. Last point on Trump before I turn to Michelle Malcolm. Trump also, um, one thing that was discussed in some of the criticism of his um, speech at CPAC was the idea that he is more liberally using, say they, executive orders than previous Republican presidents, and that somehow he is abusing the use of executive orders or that he is using them far in excess of the way that Obama did as a past Democrat president, that past Republican presidents did. And I got to tell you, folks, this is another arena where Trump needs to keep on working along with other people who speak up and, and defend this country. Trump needs to keep on pointing out what authority the executive branch does and does not have. When President Trump issued executive orders back early on in his you know, first few months of being president, for first few months of 2017, he issued executive orders that relate to the vetting of people who want to come to our country as refugees, who are coming from countries that have a severe problem with Islamic terror, with jihad, with Islamization, Trump was saying, so we don't have another San Bernardino, another bringing people here who then turn on and kill American citizens. We need better vetting. You likely recall that it was, I think, three sets of executive orders he tried, and immediately the left-wing liberal mindset, you know, jumped on it, and all the left-wing pundits were hysterical, saying he has no right to do this. It's religious freedom. He's he's violating religious freedom of the of the refugees, which, by the way, they don't have the protection of America's First Amendment as refugees who aren't citizens. It doesn't apply to them. But I digress. The point is, Trump had the authority to issue those executive orders, but he had to go through, I forget how many district court decisions, some the appellate courts in the federal level, the circuit court decisions, before it finally went to the Supreme Court that actually, of all things, applied the law and said, 
Now, he, he had, of course he has the right to do this. It was never a close question. As If you listen to my show for years, you know I've gone through all this, what the federal statute said, what the, the Constitution said. Trump had clear authority to do what he did with those executive orders. But the left points to those as examples of Trump exceeding his authority and that he's, a, he's changing things in this country. He's using executive orders when he shouldn't. No, he had that authority. The Supreme Court, finally the grown-ups in the room, in our judicial system, looked at the executive orders, actually looked at the Constitution, actually looked at federal law, and said, well, of course he has the authority to do this. So that's just one example of people saying, well, Trump is so you know, extreme on executive orders. I don't know how this most recent executive order is going to work out with respect to using military money to build the wall, but there's a very strong argument that he also has statutory authority to do that too. And I went into all that to say that I think the argument of the lefties and of the never Trumpers, that Trump is just drastically changing the course of the other Republican Party, drastically changing the direction of our, our country, drastically you know, moving the Republicans in a new direction, is not true. It is not true. Trump is doing the kind of things that the Republican values have stood for for decades. We simply have a guy finally now willing to do it willing to do to restore the robustness of the free market system by bringing jobs back here, willing to fix the border insecurity and say, no, we're going to have a secure border and we're going to force people to come to points of entry. We're going to apply our law. These are not radical things. These are mainstream, Main Street, apple pie America decisions he is making. So that's it on CPAC and Trump. I want to quickly turn to Michelle Malkin, who is one of my favorite commentators. She actually spoke at CPAC, too. She had a much longer speech. I have a quick clip from her. Just a couple points I want to make about that. Take it away, Michelle. My name is Michelle Malkin. I identify as an American, a proud, unhyphenated, unapologetic, fully assimilated American. America is good and America is great. Of these basic truths, there is or should be little dispute among us here. But two questions loom large. Number one, for how long will America, the America that we grew up in, remain good and great? And number two, to whom shall we entrust the existential responsibility of securing the goodness and greatness passed down peacefully for generations. Yes, we have much, much to thank President Trump for as he battles the Beltway Swamp, the deep state, the administrative state, and the fake news fourth estate. There is no sugarcoating America's long-term forecast. We face fearful odds. The game is rigged. The playing field is manifestly unlevel. And I will warn you that I am going to go over time because the most important issue that we face is immigration and we need to be talking about it more than one panel in 20 minutes. Okay, that was Michelle Malkin. I adore her. She's written many, you know, she's a serious, serious commentator, a researcher, writer, writes great books, but I really thought she honed down the questions we should be talking about in this country. I said today's deep dive is about you know, what America is and where are we headed. Her, those are her two questions. For how long 
will America remain great and good? And number two, in whose hands do we entrust America's future? Folks, if you just, just read the summary of the Green New Deal, I'll put it on our website, I'll put it in this Facebook page and we're done. The summary of the Green New Deal. If you just read the summary of the new health care bill, which I'm going to talk about in my last segment in a moment, the new health care bill, the Democrats now have over 100 co-signers on, you will realize the Democrat Party in this country will never, never maintain America's goodness and greatness. It's not because they're bad people. Maybe they are bad people. It's because the the controlling mindset, the American left that has the cabal mentality that is now in charge, the Democrat Party in this country does not believe in America. Simply does not. Does not believe in the idea of America. They are Marxists. They are socialists. They are all about taking your liberty away. And this is where we are in 2019. And this is what we faced in 2020. The decision Can we understand the gravity, the seriousness of the choice we have in 2020 between President Trump and his mission of restoring America's greatness, strength, security, and prosperity, and the American left that is telling you they are screaming from the rooftops, we will destroy America. I'm Debbie Georges. This is America Can We Talk. I'm going to zip off to like a three-second break. And the last thing I want to talk about today very briefly is the future of health care. Stay tuned. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I want to tell you something, folks. You know, there's a... Uh, battles of many, many kinds facing America in the, not just the 2020 election cycle, but even now in 2019, we are, the the Democrat party in Washington is telling you exactly what they will do to you if you ever give them the majority in the House and the Senate, as well as the White House. They are telling you, they are screaming it from the rooftops. I want to put a picture up. There's a Congresswoman from Washington state or Oregon. I forget where she's from. Anyway, this is Rep- uh, Washington. Representative Pramila uh, Jayapal. And I apologize. It's not how you say her name. J-A-Y-A-P-A-L. She is the author of a new bill. This is in the Democrat-controlled U.S. House called Medicare for All Act of 2019. You know, we talk about in the Green New Deal, how the Green New Deal calls for, you know, Medicare for all, free health care for everybody, blah, blah. But the Green New Deal was kind of, it was a resolution format. And it listed all sorts of wild-eyed, crazy, socialistic, if you're a five-year-old sitting in your home trying to think of everything you would ever do to make life perfect, you would put this in this list. That's what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did. This woman actually came up with a bill. It has been introduced in the U.S. House. Again, it's called the Medicare for All Act of 2019. This founder of this, this, uh, you know, this is the original, the sponsor of the bill. Out of 435 members of the U.S. Congress, and the Democrats have the majority, as you know, she already has 100, over 100, co-signers, co-sponsors, signed on to this bill. This is her language. I want, because I don't want you to think I'm characterizing it, I'm exaggerating her language. Under this bill, 
we mean a complete transformation of the healthcare system. And we mean a system where there is no private insurance companies that provide these core benefits. We mean universal care. Everybody in, nobody out. There is no difference between what she is proposing and the most rigid and ugliest communist government in this world, complete control of the healthcare system. There is no difference. The American left does not get to say, oh no, we're, really, we're still in the American playing field. We're still Americans. We still believe in liberty. No, they don't. They don't think you have the right to healthcare freedom. And this is not, it's not like she proposed a bill and everybody else in the Democrat party in Washington said, are you crazy? You can't eliminate private healthcare insurance. She is. In fact, to understand, she danced with the language a tiny bit. The only thing she would permit is for things that people may want, like plastic surgery, you know, the nose job kind of stuff, cosmetic, unnecessary, medically unnecessary things, she would permit health insurance companies to sell you policies for that, uh, presumably because the, her system isn't going to cover that. So if you happen to be wealthy enough and you want to get a nose job, you can get a health insurance policy. But if you are wealthy enough and you want to pay an insurance company for primary medical care, you want to pick the insurance company down the road and the doctor you know, the answer of the Democrats today is no, is no. You do not have any health care freedom in this country. So you think that all this talk about losing our freedom, that the Democrats are Marxists, that they're taking control of this country, you may say, that's extreme. Now, come on, America isn't like that. A hundred plus co-signers saying you can't have, and these people, this is, this is the party that thinks they're going to take the White House in 2020. And they think they're going to take the U.S. Senate back. And then where will we be? To go back to Michelle Malkin's question, who are you going to entrust to hold on to America's goodness and greatness? America's healthcare system did not become the best on earth because of government control. It became the best on earth because the government, for the most part, stayed the heck out of it. But you have to understand the drastic difference in the future offered to Americans. It's a perfectly, perfectly epitomized by the healthcare system. You can have America, or you can have Marxist-controlled, government-controlled society, but you can't have them both. You will lose America if you give in to the Democrat Party in this country, regardless of how nice some particular candidate seems, regardless of what friendly, happy talk terms the Democrats use to sell their ideas. They do not believe in the America that we all know and love. They believe in Marxist government control over you. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. My incredibly wonderful producer, board operator, Matt over there, gave me a signal a while ago telling me to wrap it up here. But I do want to tell you a couple of really important things. Every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, I'm right here, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, all sorts of podcast aggregators. Please, if you're on Facebook, like this Facebook page, share the segments. We break the show in segments. We send them around. You can send them around. 
share the segments, review the page. If you're on YouTube watching, subscribe to the YouTube channel, send me notes. I try to respond to everyone. Yes, I know I'm way behind, but I try to respond to everyone if I can, especially if you have a question. Feel free to email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. On our website, go to our website, check out all the videos and the past shows and past interviews, the blog posts, and also the links to everything we talked about in the show today. I do this, folks, this and this, America Can We Talk show is done entirely out of love of this precious, extraordinary country and to my commitment to doing everything I can to preserve it. Thank you for listening. Remember to speak up for America because America matters. Talk to you next time. America, can we talk? Truth about America.